Mark chapter 6. It's interesting that we come to this text this morning uh, because it is very relevant to both what uh, John and I and the rest of our team were able to see in El Salvador and then what we also see here. If you saw the Hickory Daily Record yesterday, um, I don't know if you get the Hickory Daily Record, but if you saw it on the front, you saw a number of pictures from our local community, uh, including one that was taken right here facing this way, and it had my ugly mug in it. Amen to that. I know. I appreciate it. We wanted to call David Gregg, but he was unavailable to make the picture a little bit uglier. But I don't know if you're like me, but since I was a kid, I love to get my picture in the paper. Um, when I was a kid, that was just a big deal. The Tellsville Times comes out once a week, Wednesday afternoons. I don't know why it didn't come out Wednesday mornings, but Wednesday afternoons, the Tellsville Times would come out. And on a few rare occasions, normally for something in school, I would get my picture in the paper. And my mother still has those pictures in her family Bible in her living room. And you can flip through there and read stories about Jesus and see pictures of me as a child and a teenager. And so for me, honestly, it's still cool to get your picture in the paper. And when that picture was there yesterday, and as I was thinking about this sermon... I thought one of the great things about getting your picture on the front of the Hickory Daily Record, as uh, opposed to the Tellsville Times, is that it's widely read in Taylorsville, and it was on Saturday. A lot of people get the paper on Saturday, and so a lot of people from my hometown pick up the paper, they see pictures of Eichard, and I think it was the third picture down is me, leaned up against this pulpit, which looked very short, to be honest with you. And there I am. And it talks about uh, having been your pastor for two years, and then the story goes on um, to talk about our community. And then I'll read this story about the lack of respect that Jesus finds in his hometown. And I read that, and I think we just came from a place in El Salvador where, and this is no joke, on the first day we were there, the end of the day, as we're trying to leave, we've been speaking to elementary school kids. These kids don't know us. They don't know how unimportant we are. They don't know how, um, what a lack of influence we have in the world. But these kids were so drawn to us. They're coming, coming up to us. They're surrounding us. They want to talk to us. They want to use a little bit of the English words that they know. They want us to share a few of the Spanish words that they know. And honestly, as we're getting in the car, those children wanted our autograph. No lie. They wanted our autograph. I don't know how many John gave out. I, you know, <laughs> mine, were, mine were very expensive. Most of the kids could not afford my autograph. But I joke. But they did. And I'll be honest with you, it's hard when you go to a place like that not to feel pretty good about yourself. Because people were excited to see you. Everywhere we went, every church we walked into, the people were excited that we were there. They hung on every word of the sermons that we preached, even though we were preaching through the difficulty of having a translator. And honestly, if you've ever had that feeling, if you've ever been somewhere where people looked up to you and respected you, it's hard then to go back to a place where you're just normal. And so we got a little taste of that when we were in El Salvador. And then I get another little taste of that because I'm the only pastor from Taylorsville whose picture was on the front page of the Hickory Daily Record yesterday. And so I know that people in my hometown saw that. And regardless of how they remember me and regardless of what they think about me from when I lived there and grew up there, at least for one day yesterday on Saturday, the Hickory, Hickory Daily Record put my picture on the front. And so it's in that context. Let's read Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. If you'd stand with me in reverence to God's word this morning. 
Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. You may be seated. With all the excitement that came with our trip to Central America, we come to this text. Jesus has had great success everywhere that he has been. People have welcomed him. Not everyone, but many have welcomed him. They have received him well. We have many accounts in the previous five chapters about people coming to Jesus and, and wanting to be healed. People coming to him and, 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 and placing their trust in him and their faith in him that he could heal them and cast out demons, that he could perform these miracles. His disciples witness him out in the boat and the storm is raging and he speaks and immediately the wind and the rain obey him. He's been warmly received. But then he comes home. And when he comes home, he finds resistance. When he comes home, he no longer finds those coming to him excited to hear his message, longing to be in his presence. But he comes home and he finds those who question him, who are skeptical of his message and his ministry. They know Jesus. They knew who he is. They saw him grow up. They saw the things that he went through. They know his mother. They know his family. And they, they question. How can this be? How can, how can this guy get up and say these things? How can he perform these great miracles? How can he carry out this great ministry? Who is he to do these things? This passage before us this morning is a reminder that ministry to our own people is hard. Ministry to our own people is hard. See, there's going to be skepticism and doubt and hardship when we minister to our own people. It seemed like everywhere we went, My dad on this trip wanted me to remind the people there that the things that we were doing, especially in going into these schools and uh, speaking uh, English with these students and sharing the gospel with them, that many of these things are not allowed in our own country, in many parts of our own country. He, He wanted me to communicate that as if I spoke Spanish significantly better than he did. He wanted me to somehow get that across. We went into the churches, and as we would preach, there was always a great response to what we were doing, not necessarily in the number of people who were saved, although there were many on the trip, but in the attitude that people had toward listening. And yet we know we can go to many churches in our community and preach the exact same message with the exact same words, and no one really cares. Ministry to our own people is hard. But that does not stop Jesus. He knows ahead of time that ministry in his community is going to be difficult, and yet he goes anyways. 
Difficult ministry does not stop Jesus from being faithful to his mission. And that should be the same for us. And so as we look through this passage this morning, I want us to understand that this passage instructs us to be faithful. It instructs us to be faithful no matter what we face, no matter the difficult circumstances we go through, and especially to be faithful when we are ministering with our own people. As I've looked at this passage, this passage is very encouraging to me. Because it's easy for us, as we hear about the things going on around us in other parts of the world, even in our own community, when we hear the great success that a church may be having or that a pastor may be having or that a missionary may be having, it's easy to hear that and be distracted by it. It's easy to hear that and be disheartened by it because we do not see that happening for us. But what we see in this passage is a predicament that Jesus finds himself in, where he has come to his own town, to his own people, but they are resistant. And so as we begin in verse 1, we must be faithful in the normal routine of life. Faithful in the normal routine of life. This trip that Jesus takes to Nazareth, to his hometown, is just the standard part of his ministry. This is what he's doing. If you've read the first five chapters with us as we've been going through Mark's gospel, this is what Jesus does. He travels around and he teaches. He goes places and he performs miracles and he teaches people about the gospel. As a matter of fact, just like normally happens, his disciples come with him, verse 1 tells us. His disciples follow him to his hometown. They go with him among his people. He's traveling about preaching the gospel, and he ends up, according to verse 2, in the synagogue. He's teaching. He's there on the Sabbath day, and he begins to teach. This is just what Jesus does. This is just a part of who he is. It's a part of his ministry. And he doesn't sidetrack his normal routine just so that he can go to his hometown. It's just the next place that he goes to, the next place on his travels. But he is immediately met with resistance. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is that he would show back up here And he would be preaching. He would show back up here and he would be someone else. He would show back up and all of a sudden now he's got disciples following him. All of a sudden now he's a rabbi who goes into the synagogue and is teaching on the Sabbath day. When he left here he was a carpenter. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody really cared. He was nobody important. And all of a sudden he returns with all of these people surrounding him. He's got all of these stories of the great miracles that he has performed and they're following him around everywhere. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? We know his family. They're no one important. How does he do such mighty works? How does he have this wisdom? Where has it come from? They ask these questions, and yet Jesus goes into the synagogue and he teaches. He keeps his normal routine. He does not divert from his path. He continues on his mission, even though he has come to a place with resistance. You and I must be faithful to the things of God in the mundane parts of life. See, it's easy to travel to another country and do the things that we were doing. It's easy to go and and preach with with passion, to teach the, the message of the gospel. It's easy to go and do that somewhere else. It's the expectation. You paid your money to go on the trip. That's why you're there. And yet as a pastor, I know that some of the times that I have gotten the most passionate in my preaching have not been the times when I was in the pulpit of the church I pastor. 
Because there's something about traveling to somewhere else where someone invites you in, where you don't have to deal with the consequences of the things that you say, that gives you just extra passion. And it's not what Jesus has done here. He didn't make this special trip to go back to his hometown and do things differently to really show out and show off. He, he goes back and he continues with his normal routine where he is preaching the gospel, where he is going into the synagogue on the Sabbath, where he is proclaiming the kingdom of God. He is doing that in his normal routine of life. And friends, you and I must be faithful in those normal routines of life. Because it doesn't say much about us if we're faithful only when we are out of our hometown. When we are faithful only when we are away from our people. Only when we are away from those who really know us best. That's when we put on our faithful hat and we try to do things for the kingdom. But the rest of the time, we simply ignore it. We simply aren't faithful See, I believe that the people we live among, the people we live around, are the hardest people to reach. See, they see us as we actually are. They see you each and every day. They see every slip up. They see every time you mess up. They see every time that you are a hypocrite. Every time you do something other than what you have been preaching to them. They see that. And so it makes it very hard to reach them. You have always heard, and I'm sure you have since 9-11 particularly, that when it comes to terrorism, we have to be right every single time, and the terrorists only have to be right once. Friends, the same is true in our Christian living. You can live out your faith, live out your faith, live out your faith, and that one mess up can be the one thing that they point to. Oh yeah, well we know that you've done this and this and this, but we know one time you messed up. That's why it's hard to reach the people around you. Why do you think it's hard to reach the people you work with, the people you go to school with? It's because they see you each and every day. They see what is deeply within your heart. They see how you live. They see how you work. They see how you treat your finances and your family. They know those things, and knowing them makes it hard to reach them because when you mess up, they see it. But our job is to continue to be faithful. What would it have meant if Jesus had went back to his hometown and preached a different message than the one he had preached everywhere else? What if he had pulled back on the message because his family was going to hear? His friends were going to hear? No, he remains faithful. He continues on his journey. He goes to his hometown. He preaches in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He continues to do those things that he's always done. So we must be faithful in the normal routine of life if we want to reach people with the gospel. We must be faithful on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. We must be faithful Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Sure, Sunday's easy. We come to church and we we sing the songs and we hear a message and we we really get energized for the things of God. We, We get excited about them on Sundays, but how do we continue to live once we go home? Be faithful to the normal routine of life. Look at the second one here. Verse three, be faithful no matter where you come from. Is not this the carpenter? He's just a carpenter. We don't know him as the preacher. We don't know him as the prophet. We don't know him as the healer. We don't know him as the miracle worker. We don't know him as the one who can calm the seas. We don't know him as the one who has the disciples. We don't know him as the rabbi. We know him as the carpenter. That's not very exciting. It's not very exciting to have a carpenter come back in. Have a carpenter come back to town. You show up at synagogue on Sunday. We wanted to hear a a rabbi. We wanted to hear a teacher. We wanted to hear a preacher. And we got a carpenter. We don't want to hear about woodworking. We want to hear someone get up and talk about the Word of God. Who is this carpenter? Is this not the carpenter? His mother is Mary. We know about her. We know about her past. We know about the things that she's done. 
We know that she was pregnant with him before her and her husband got married. His mother's married. These are his brothers. They are no one of any importance. His sisters, they live here with us. They're not from Jerusalem. They're not from some large town. They're not from somewhere important. They live here with us. They're offended. They took offense at him. Who is he to get up and say these things? And yet Jesus is faithful. He's not from anywhere special. And that offends them. They know his past. And that offends them. They know where he came from. Ironically, from the same place they have come from. And that's offensive. They didn't much care even for their own type. He had come from their town. He was the hometown boy, and yet they didn't want to listen to him because what good could even come from their place, from their hometown, from Nazareth? And yet Jesus is faithful. He came from a humble place and a humble profession, and that wasn't good enough. You and I need to be faithful no matter where we come from. It's amazing to me that we've got to a point in Christianity where the only voices we want to listen to are the Christian celebrities. Go down to the bookstore, turn on the television. How often do you see a normal, average preacher preaching in those places? Go to a conference, look at the list, look at the places where the pastors come from. Do you ever find someone that comes from a normal place that has a normal, average education? No, you don't. We only want to listen to the people who come from the biggest churches, who write the most books. Those are the only voices that we listen to. And yet some of the best preaching I've ever heard has not been at a mega conference, but it's been in the pews of small churches with faithful pastors. We've got this celebrity mindset. It's because our world and society have a celebrity mindset. And as the church, we've just adopted it. We've just made Christian celebrities. And yet Jesus here is faithful even though he was a carpenter. Even though he came from a small town. Even though his brothers and his sisters still lived in this small town. He remains faithful See, no matter our profession or family, we must continue to be faithful in our calling. God God did not only call pastors to be faithful. He called anyone to be faithful from whatever profession you come from, from whatever background you come from. If He has called you, He has called you to be faithful. Whether you are the President of the United States or the local trash collector, you are to be faithful. Whether you have a job that brings you great wealth or one that causes you to continue to struggle to get by, He has called you to be faithful. No matter where He has brought you, we must be faithful. See, we must shake off the past and continue to be faithful. Those around us, those who are from our hometown, those who are from our family, they like to look at all the things that we have done in the past. They like to look at all the places we've been in the past. They like to look at who we were in the past, and that's who they reflect on. That's why a lot of pastors can never go back and pastor in their hometown. They could never go back and pastor their home church because people just know. And to, to pastor a group of people, they can't look at you as, as a 17-year-old boy who, who got in trouble in church, who ran around and acted stupid. You, they can't look at you like that. They have to look at you as their pastor. They have to look at you as the one who has been given charge of their soul. And that's hard to do if they think you're still the snotty-nosed brat from fourth grade Sunday school class. It's hard. It's hard to go back. It's hard to do that. And folks, it's hard for anyone to minister to the people around them because they look and they remember who you used to be. But as Christians, we have to shake that off. We have to put that behind us. We have to realize that has been forgiven by Christ. And since it has been forgiven by Christ, we must be faithful in what we have ahead of us. 
But that's not easy. How does Jesus overcome these comments? How do you have this authority? How do you have this power? We know your mama. We know your brothers and your sisters. You're just a carpenter. And yet I would guarantee you on that day as Jesus stood in that synagogue with those questions circling around him, he preached his message faithfully. He proclaimed the kingdom of God just as he always had because that's what Jesus did. He was faithful. See, many will try to define us by where we have come from, who we are, who we used to be, but that has nothing to do with where God is taking us. The vilest of sinner with the most horrific sinful past is still on a path to heaven if God is taking them on it. If they were following after Christ and being faithful, God is leading them towards something great in the future. We can't let our past define us. We have to be faithful no matter where we come from. It's the only way we're going to reach the people around us. It's the only way we're going to reach this community. Because I would imagine as the news article talks about Eichard being the most affordable place to live, I would imagine that everyone in Eichard, as few people as there are here, would know someone in this room. Go out and find the people around us. Go out and find the people that live in our community. They're going to know one of you. They're going to know how you were as a kid. They're going to know something about your past. And if we're not faithful, regardless of where we've come from, regardless of where God has brought us, they're going to look at that. That's going to be a barrier between them and the gospel of Christ. Be faithful. In the normal routine of life, be faithful no matter where you've come from. Thirdly, in verse 4, be faithful though you get no respect. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. This proverb that Jesus gives here in verse 4 is striking. A prophet, one who's been called by God to, to speak for God, to speak the word of God, has honor everywhere else, Jesus says, except in his own hometown, and among his people, and in his family. You think about that. Think about the number of people who are faithful to the gospel, both pastors and church members, deacons and preachers. They're faithful to the gospel, and yet they find no respect in certain places. They go back to their hometown, they go back and they don't find much reception. Jesus gets no respect. Everywhere else, people have been seeking him out. Think about it. Just back in chapter 5, we have Jairus who comes and he wants Jesus. Jairus is a very important person. He's an official, a ruler in the synagogue. And he comes to Jesus. And verse 23 of chapter 5 says, He implored him earnestly. He begs him, Jesus, come. Come, my little daughter is sick. Come and heal her. Come that she might live. And yet, then he comes to Nazareth and no reception. No warm welcome. No one running out to greet him and imploring him earnestly, begging him to come and to help their city. But he is met with questions. And yet he's faithful. He comes to town. He's got disciples around him. He's been performing great miracles. But people question. He's not respected. See, we have to be faithful that we get no respect for it because we don't deserve any respect. Jesus got no respect. By the end of his ministry, no one, no one is paying him any respect. The closest, the closest 
that anyone comes to pay him any respect at the end of his earthly ministry as he's hanging on the cross, a thief beside him who has previously been mocking him, says, remember me. Remember me. It's the closest he gets. The last thoughts of a dying man hanging on a cross beside him is all the respect that Jesus ultimately had. So why do we think we're going to get any? I mean, respect is something that we we like to have. None of us like it if someone disrespects us. We like our children to be respectful of us and others. We respect is an important thing, but we shouldn't think that we're going to get any. We shouldn't think that the world around us is going to respect us if we are faithful. The world around us is telling us to reject Jesus, to throw away this old tradition of church, to put away this idea of religion. So why would they respect us? It's not going to happen. The only way anyone's going to respect us is if they are won over by the gospel. If their heart is transformed by the gospel, then they may respect our faithfulness. But it's unlikely it's going to happen. It's unlikely we're going to get any respect from this world. It's just simply not going to happen. I'm amazed at the number of people that even question why groups like ours would go and do work in other countries. What's well, dangerous? I guess. I don't know about John. I never really felt like we were in any danger. I didn't stand on the street very long. We didn't see any gangs that tried to come up and do anything to us. A lot of people just don't think it's necessary. They, don't, they think it's a waste of time. They think it's a waste of resources. They don't have any respect for the sharing of the gospel. But we have been called to be faithful, though we get no respect at all, because it's simply not something that we should be expecting. Jesus is maligned by his own people, by his own family, by his own relatives and hometown, and they disrespect him, and they question his authority, and they question his abilities. He received no respect from these people. And so we should be faithful, though we get no respect. Though people malign us and belittle us, though they think it's ridiculous that we would hold to this old-fashioned style of thinking that there is a God and that he sent his son, they think that is ignorant. They think that we are unintelligent because of it. They are very disrespectful of the Christian faith. The world is becoming increasingly disrespectful of the Christian faith, and in that we must remain faithful Because what does it say about our faith if because we do not get a pat on the back from the world and the respect that many Christians think they deserve, that we abandon our faith? What does it say about us if we give up? Because it's hard. Because it's difficult. Because nobody likes us. See, that's the danger of this celebrity Christianity that we see around us. It's the danger of this idea of the prosperity gospel, that God wants us to be uh, healthy and wealthy, that he's going to give us all the desires of our heart if they, no matter what they are, no matter what the finances are. That idea that is being implanted in too many people's minds is a false gospel because I read about a Savior here who was taken out and beaten because he was faithful who was nailed to a cross because he was faithful. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head because he was faithful. He received no respect. And we must be faithful, though we receive none as well. Next, we're in verse 5. We see that we should be faithful knowing that Jesus is working. Faithful knowing that Jesus is working. Look in verse 5. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Think about this statement. It's not incorrect in my translation. I don't know what your translation of God's Word says, but it is clear when it says, He could do no mighty work there. 
Why? Why is Jesus seemingly limited? This text is one of the great mysteries of the Bible in this balance between our freedom and God's sovereignty. And this one, this one just throws a wrench in the whole thing and makes it, makes it an even more difficult discussion than it is. How much freedom do we have? How sovereign is God? How much responsibility do we have for our actions? The truth of the matter is that Jesus doesn't work because the people there are not faithful. They have no faith. They do not believe. Look, look throughout what we've seen in the first five chapters. We've seen people who believe and God does a mighty work there. There are many times in the scriptures where God does mighty works in spite of the disbelief of the people. We see the people of God being led out of Egypt and there is disbelief everywhere. And yet he continues to do the mighty works. He continues to part the sea. He continues to provide for their nourishment even though they have little faith. And yet here, Jesus could do no mighty work. But does that mean Jesus wasn't working? See, I think we could concentrate on the fact that he could do no mighty work there. But there's another word that comes after the comma. It says, except, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. See, I think it's easy to look around us in our current context, in our community here, in our state, in our country, and question whether or not Jesus is working. We do not seem to see a lot of great and mighty works going on in our presence. We do not see people coming to the Lord by the hundreds and thousands as are happening in other parts of the world. So is Jesus working? Or have we become like Nazareth where he cannot do work because there is no faith? But that's not what the text says. It says he could do no mighty work there except except that he laid his hands on a few people. I would imagine if you found one of those people after he left and you went up to them and you asked, do you think Jesus did a mighty work here in his hometown? I think they would say yes, wouldn't they? If you went up to that person who could not walk and Jesus had walked up to them and he had placed his hand upon them and they had stood up and walked, I think they would say that he had done a mighty work in Nazareth. Someone who was blind and came up to Jesus and he he placed his hands over their eyes and they could see for the first time. I think if you asked them, they would say that Jesus had done a mighty work in Nazareth. See, a lack of faith and belief makes the work hard. But it doesn't stop the work of Jesus. See, for you and I, it's easy to get excited about the things of God when the Spirit is moving greatly. It's just easy. When all kinds of people are coming to the church and they're listening to the message and they're responding to the message, it's easy to get excited. It's easy for me. It's easy to get excited when when we see God moving in a great way. However, it is much harder when things are slow. See, when people want to listen and be part of what God is doing, the work of the Lord is easy. But when things are slow and not moving fast and when things aren't moving in our time, it gets really hard. However, Jesus is still working. See, he never stops. He never sleeps. He never quits working. And I would imagine if you go and find those people whose lives were radically changed by Jesus' healing power, to them it was irrelevant that he could do no mighty works there because he had done a mighty work in their life. He had done a mighty work in their life. He had changed their life. 
If one person comes to faith in Christ, if one person's heart is changed, God has done a mighty work in their life. And to them, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant that the work doesn't seem big enough for everyone else. It's irrelevant that the work doesn't seem big enough for the things of God. It's irrelevant because God has changed their life. He's changed their heart. Too often in our country and in the Christian culture that we have, if God is not moving in a way that we see as big, we're just not impressed. If we can't show big numbers, it's just not impressive. If we can't show that that God doubled our attendance or doubled our budget or we had this many baptisms or we did this much work, it's as if it doesn't matter at all. For many churches, if you have vacation Bible school and one child is saved, that's insufficient. Even though for that child, the mightiest work of God has been done in their life. Their heart has been changed. Their life has been sealed for an eternity with Christ. But we should have had, a, we should have had more. We should have done more. God, help us to get over that attitude. Only a few people in Nazareth come to Christ. Only a few people are healed. He only lays hands on a a few people. Maybe it was two or three or four. I don't know how many it was, but it it was a few. But this passage shows me that no matter how unfaithful the people are, no matter how hard hearted the people are, Christ is still at work. And this is a concept that we need to get in our minds as the church in the United States. Why is it that we think God would entrust us with much when we're not faithful over little? If we can't be satisfied that God changes lives slowly, if we can't be satisfied when God changes one life, if that's not enough for us, if that's not sufficient to show us God's power and might, why would he give us much more? If we struggle to be faithful with the little bit that God has given us, why in the world would He give us more? You know, as I travel around now to two countries in the last 11 months, I see pastors that are facing a problem. Their their churches are growing and they've got a problem with leadership. They they don't have leaders in their church. They've got all these people coming and all these people wanting to hear, and they they have no leaders. They have have no one who can step in and, and help lead Bible studies and help lead the church. And see, we we hear excitement. All these people are coming to church. All these people are coming to church. And that sounds wonderful. But what happens when all of these people come in and we have not been faithful when we had a little bit? And so God gives us much and now we are unprepared. Why would we expect that he would do that? We need to be faithful. Faithful knowing that Jesus is working. We need to be satisfied. I've got so many pastor friends that when they come into a church, if within a year, 18 months, the church is not doing everything they want, the church is not growing like they think it should be, the church is not giving like they think it should be, they're ready to go somewhere else. I remember one friend of mine in particular, he was dead set on leaving. He had been there six months and he was set on leaving. The, the church is just not doing what I want it to do. We're not, we're not growing. We're not going. He was set on leaving. And God wouldn't let him leave. God kept pushing him to be faithful. God kept pushing him to be faithful. He wanted to leave. God, this is, this is not where I, I need to be. I, you, you need to take me somewhere else. I, God, I, I, I need more than this. I need different than this. And, and the church was shrinking. And people were leaving. And God kept pushing my friend to be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. And you know when he gave up that attitude that he needed to leave and he accepted the attitude that he needed to be faithful, the church exploded in growth. People saw a faithful pastor 
they saw faithful leaders in the church. When they saw the faithfulness of the people, they were able to reach people. They were able to reach their own people, hard people, difficult people to reach. They were able to go and not steal people from other churches, but go to people that were lost and dying and share with them the gospel. Why? Because they were faithful. Friends, that's hard. That's hard for a pastor. That's hard for church people. There's people that don't go here anymore that went here when I came because they thought we aren't growing fast enough, that we're not doing enough fast enough. And yet God doesn't call us to do those things. It's the misconception of those people. It might be your misconception. I want to correct it this morning. Our, our, our goal, our calling is to be faithful. Now, if we're not being faithful, we can expect that all kinds of things are going to go wrong. Things are not going to happen like they want. But if we are faithful, our God is with us. But he doesn't promise us that we're going to, to be the, the largest church in Burke County and have thousands of people and have to build new and bigger buildings. Find that in the Bible and show it to me. It's not there. What he calls on his people to do is to be faithful and know that he is working. Yes, we, we long to see more people come to Christ. We long to see God do more in our church and in our community. But our goal is to be faithful. Because we don't save anybody. Listen, I could go round up some homeless people next Sunday, give them a good meal at McDonald's, and get them baptized. I guarantee they would go through the baptistry for a good meal. I could go to some of your kids, and I can talk to them in such a way as to manipulate them into being baptized. But if you want me to do that, you got the wrong guy. I don't do that to my own kids. I'm not going to do that to yours. We must be faithful knowing that Christ is working. Even if it's just a few, even if it's just a few and there are a lot of hard hearts, Jesus is working. And here's the last thing, verse 6. Be faithful and do not be surprised at the rejection of the gospel. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went, about, he went about among the villages teaching. Again, I don't, I don't have a good answer for what it means that Jesus marveled. I know he's not surprised. I know it's not unexpected. I know he didn't go to Nazareth and get there and be like, I can't believe they're not listening to me. And yet he marvels. What a great word. Why would they not believe? The evidence is so clear. He has healed all of these people. He has preached the good news. He has calmed the storm. Why would they not listen to him? Instead of listening, they disrespect and malign him. But he does not stop. See, I love the little tag there at the end of verse 6. And he went about among the villages teaching. What was he doing when he arrived in Nazareth? He was teaching. He was preaching. He was being faithful in the everyday routine of his life. What is he doing at the end when he leaves the town? All of this has come against him. All of the disrespect. Um, everyone is maligning him. What does he do? He continues teaching in the villages. He went out among the villages teaching. He continued to be faithful. See, oftentimes when we get surprised at the rejection of the gospel, it causes us not to be faithful. We just get burnt out. It's easy to do. It's easy to do for me. I mean, it's easy to do for me. I suppose it's easy to do for you as well. You continue doing the same things, faithful to God, day in and day out. You preach the gospel. You share the good news. And what do you come away with? Nothing. It's rejected. Who could hear the good news of Christ and yet say no? 
For us, we heard it, whether it was the first time or whether it was the 50th time. At some point, we heard it, and God compelled us. He called our heart. We couldn't resist. We had to follow. We had to listen. We had to go with the gospel. It was the best thing. It was the best choice. We couldn't go anywhere else. There was nowhere else we could find life. And yet, some people hear it, and it's okay. Some people sit in churches for years. And hear it. Okay. It's not, not that impressive. Not that big a deal. We should not be surprised when people reject the gospel. Especially the people around us. See, the people around us have been inundated with the gospel. You wonder why missionaries can walk into some of these villages and other parts of the world and nobody has ever even heard the name of Jesus and they begin to proclaim the gospel and entire villages come to Christ? It's because the first time they had heard the good news. They'd never heard words of life before. And all of a sudden they hear it. But we live in a culture that's been inundated with the gospel. People have heard it time and time again. People have heard the, the message of Jesus. They've heard all the pithy Bible stories, and so they're just bored with it. Many of them have never accurately heard the gospel presented. Many have never heard that they are deeply in sin, and yet God loves them and sent His Son to die on the cross for them. Many of them have not heard that our culture removes the idea of sin from most people's vernacular. However, we, we shouldn't be surprised that it's hard. We shouldn't be surprised that it's hard to see people come to Christ in Eichard, in Burke County, in western North Carolina. It's hard. Because there are very few people that you will share the gospel with that have not rejected it at least one time before. They've heard it before and said no before. Occasionally you'll meet people like that. If you deal with children in our community, you're going to begin seeing that a lot. People who have never heard the gospel. They've never heard the good news of Christ. And guess what? When we begin to see that in our culture again, we will see God have a great outpouring of souls because people have never heard the gospel and it'll be just like walking into a village in Asia or Africa or South America. They will hear the gospel for the first time and people will joyously receive the words of life. But only if we're faithful. Only if we're faithful. Because we've got to be able to demonstrate that we are not culturally Christians. And we don't just go to church on Sunday mornings and sing some songs that we've heard from our childhood and give an offering and listen to a message and go home and feel good about ourselves. But no, we are faithful in the everyday things. We are faithful in what God has called us to do. Be faithful and do not be surprised at the rejection of the gospel. You know, the work we have to do is not easy. Matter of fact, it can be very difficult and discouraging. I think as we were flying back on Tuesday, it would be safe to say that all of us on the trip, including my dad, which was quite a bit of a surprise, if we could take our families with us, would have landed, packed up the house, and went back. Because ministry there is a different kind of hard. It's hard because there's bad smells. It's hard because the accommodations can be suspect. It's hard because it's a dangerous place to live. But it's not hard because people reject the gospel. You can spend the rest of your life going to schools each and every day and sharing the gospel message of Christ in those schools and there would be people responded for the rest of your life. When we work here, it can be hard and discouraging. You've invited someone to church time and time and time again. They don't have anything to do with it. You've prayed for your children who grew up in church and they know the things of God and you've prayed for them time and time and time again and they seem to want nothing to do with it. I'm not saying everyone other places received the gospel, but it seems like there's a lot. See, Jesus found the work in his hometown to be difficult. 
Why would we expect anything different? I think it's easy for us as a church to reflect on a time that has long gone by when people just showed up. If you talk to someone who was a part of of the great expansion of Baptist churches in the 50s and 60s after World War II, people just showed up. People were tired of the horrors of war that they had seen in Germany and Japan, and they were ready to come to church. You know, for our church, we had a period like that. It wasn't so long ago. This place was filled up twice, every Sunday. It's easy to lament because those days are gone. I'm sorry that those days are gone. It's good for me in one sense because if you're still there, I doubt you would have called a 29-year-old to be your pastor. But it's easy to think about that, to think about time when people showed up and there was not as much effort needed, where you could go and visit someone's home. I was a part of that in my own church about the same time that it was happening here. You could show up at people's houses on a Tuesday night and share the gospel with them, and they would be at church the next Sunday, and within a few weeks they were being baptized. God gave my church and God gave this church a lot of fruit for the labor. But I think we need to be cautious when the work seems easy. Because a number of those people who sit in this church and sit in my own home church now sit at home and do not participate in the family of faith. We need to be cautious when the work is easy because genuine work done at home will be hard. We have no further to look than in our own room. The work is hard. It's not going to be easy. If we came next Sunday and this place was full, I would have questions. I would have doubts. Because it's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard. We're supposed to have to labor through a lot of difficulty to see people come to Christ. See, there was a time when the work seemed easier. It was the case here. There was a case in so many churches. People responded in great numbers, but it did not last. And we need to accept that the work is going to be hard, but we must be faithful. Knowing that if we are faithful, I have full confidence that God is going to do a mighty work in our midst. If we are faithful, that's a big if. If we are faithful... God is going to work in a mighty way. He is going to do a mighty thing in our presence. And we are going to stand back and be astonished that such a great work could happen among us. Friends, the sad reality is we live in a community with hard hearts. They've heard the message over and over again. They've they've dealt with the hypocritical Christians. They've dealt with people who didn't live up to the standards that they espoused. And yet, if we are faithful, God draws people to himself. If we are faithful, little by little, we will see him do something great in our midst. It takes a lot of effort on your part. It takes a lot of effort on my part. But we have to be faithful. You've got to be faithful every day. You've got to be faithful when it seems like nothing's happening. You've got to be faithful on those days when you don't want to get out of bed because it doesn't seem like there's any point. You've got to be faithful when you are going to share with someone one more time about the hope of Christ. You've done so so many times and it seems like it's done nothing, but you're going to do it one more time. You've got to be faithful with your children and your family and your friends. Jesus, though he walked into a mess, was faithful. 
He came in teaching, preaching the gospel, and he left doing the same. He was faithful throughout. And that's what we have to do if we want to see Christ work in our midst. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us You've given us hope. You've given us peace and grace. You've given us this opportunity to be among your children this morning. God, I would just pray that in all that we do, all that we have, all that we are, we would be faithful. God, that's the calling from your word this morning. It's to be faithful. God, it's hard. There's so many things that can distract us, push us away, lead us in the wrong direction, but God, you call us to be faithful. And that's my prayer this morning for those who are gathered here. So you would impress upon their heart the great need they have to be faithful. God, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And God, I thank you for giving us your word to instruct us. God, lead and guide our hearts. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.